This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. The winner. It's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here for today's interview episode with David Canfield. Hi, Katie. Uh, David, today we have the first of a handful of interviews that we managed to conduct before SAG-AFTRA went on strike. It is a really strange time in Hollywood. Um, but honestly, I can't imagine a better person to talk to through all of this than Anjanu Ellis, who you talked to this week. One of my uh, favorites to talk to. We got to know each other a little bit during the King Richard uh, press tour. Listeners may remember she was on the show back then. Was it a delight then? And is it a delight now? Yes. Absolutely. And and a very candid interview as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's someone who uh, is a SAG member. We spoke about the strike and she was very um, open about her feelings about why at that point they were about to go on strike and why they are now on strike. Uh, but she's also got uh, a show that's really worth talking about. You know, she's not allowed to promote her work now, but this interview was conducted before. And I think we would very happily uh, sing the praises of her work in Justified City Primeval. Absolutely. Um, I was a big Justified fan back when it aired on FX. It hasn't been too long since it ended its run, but I'm always wary of reboots. We all are. I think this one does a really smart job of respecting what made the show great, familiar, um, while giving it a little bit of a new energy, um, which mostly has to do with the location. It's set in Detroit, and it finds Raylan, the the marshal, played by Timothy Oliphant, who's the protagonist of the show, in a, in a new environment. He's a fish out of water. And one of his main foils is uh, a lawyer, played by Anjanou Ellis, um, who is, is defending... A pretty, he's known as the Oklahoma Wild Man, <laughs> who is the main antagonist played by Boyd Holbrook. And, and she's a very savvy and uh, conflicted character who uh, crosses paths with him in, in more ways than one. Uh, so you guys talked about SAG. You guys talked about Justified a little bit. Any other uh, highlights to um, tease for people? I thought this was a good time to catch up with her because, first of all, the role is great. And it's the kind of showcase that I think represents her new status in Hollywood a little bit, but she's about to have a huge 12 months or so, assuming the release calendar does not go completely in flux because yeah. of everything going on. <laughs> um, but she's filmed some really exciting projects. She's the lead of the new film directed by Ava DuVernay, which is adapted from the book cast. She is a core part of the Nickel Boys, which is adapted from Colson Whitehead's Pulitzer winning novel. Uh, and that film she describes as, in ways that I did not expect. And that is that are very exciting and, and just generally, she's leaning into the fact that she's a pretty in-demand actor right now and is getting the kinds of roles she wasn't just a few years ago. 
Uh, yeah, I love it when someone gets a post-Oscar bump like that and you get to catch them really just seizing all the opportunities that come their way. Indeed. Uh, well, let's hear your conversation, once again recorded before the strike began, with Anjanu Ellis. Anjanu Ellis, you're here to talk about Justified City Primeval. Uh, you're a new cast member. Uh, this feels to me, though, like the first of many, many things that you have coming up, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, it's so funny. Like um, last year, um, after the awards, I went from back to back to back and started. It started with Justified. Right. And um, it didn't stop until March of this year, where I was just like, you know, back to back to back to back to back. And I'm not complaining. I was like, <laughs> I need all of these checks. So thank you very much. <laughs> You'll take it. You'll take it. I will take it all. I'm curious, like, as a starting point, what what appealed to you about this part in Justified, like being familiar with your career? I thought it was pretty cool to see you get introduced in the courtroom, giving a badass speech, knowing you've done a lot of guest spots on these kinds of shows. You've played the defendant many times. And here you're kind of get to be the one taking charge a little bit. Yeah, someone asked me about that, and they're like, "Well, you know, your your law and order experience." And I was like, "I don't know, <laughs> no, I was a defendant. I was a defendant. Right. Uh, I'm always, I'm always at the table, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the one about to go to jail. Yeah. Um. So I've I've observed, but uh, not not been the officer of the law. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what did it feel like to kind of get to? own that space a little bit this time. You're coming in as, I'd say, an actor with a different kind of profile, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I liked it. I liked it. And I loved, you know, that, that, that first courtroom scene particularly because, you know, she was, you know, challenging this, you know, Raylan Givens, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, just thinks he can do whatever he wants. And I, I love the idea of being someone who says to an officer of the law that, no, you can't do that. I won't allow that. You're acting in a way that's abusive. And I'm calling you out on it. And I'm calling you out on it in this very public space. Uh, and I, and I, I thought it was dope that the writers wanted to, wanted to explore that, wanted to challenge him. Um, yeah, so it was, it was cool to be able to say that to a police officer, or at least an officer of the court, and you know what I mean in that in that way, because that's yeah. how, that's what I want to say, police officers all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I get to say it. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. What was your familiarity with Justified before, and like what expectations did you have about kind of volleying with Timothy Oliphant, who? very seamlessly steps back into this role that he made pretty iconic a while back. Yeah, there's kind of, I, I like that you use the word seamless. Like, there's sort of like no beginning and no end. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you exactly, know, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't, I hadn't seen the series. I've seen just little, you know, bits and pieces of it. But of course, you know, because it's so, at this point, iconic, that character Mm -hmm. um that he plays and justified so it was just in the in the ether so i knew i knew about it um without having watched it 
And yeah, I, I you know, I try not to have expectations and I I intentionally did not watch it um when I was, you know, getting ready to do the job and I didn't read the book because I I'm such a book nerd that I will come into something carrying those assumptions. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how it should be. And I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted to I wanted to be my mind to be free and open to that this world that Raylan yeah. was entering, which was which was my world, which is Detroit, you know. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to be able to feel free to play with that without any presumptions. And the great thing about working with working with Tim, at least in this situation, you know, it's the only one I know, is that he's open to what you bring. Yeah, you've had a lot. This show has had a lot of great different kinds of actors over the years. And I remember when I saw you were cast, I I wondered what kind of energy you'd be able to bring to the show. And I I have to say, I I was surprised by, I think it's safe to call a little bit of flirtatious energy between you and Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Did that surprise you? Yeah, it did. It did surprise me. (laughs) Okay. It did surprise me. You know, I wouldn't, I, I, you listen, you use the word surprise. Surprise is, is a perfect word. Okay. I was not expecting that at all. I'm loving your smile right now. I hate that this is a <laughs> podcast so people can't see it. <laughs> Cause that's how I was like, wait a what? <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. there is a, uh, a Yellowstone Kevin Costner reference in the first episode that I won't, I won't uh, recite here, but it, it made me laugh. <laughs> Oh, Between yeah. you and another character, yes, um, yes, yes, in in relation to that. Yes. Um, so let let's talk a little bit about this character uh, of Carolyn. How exactly did you figure her out? Like you mentioned, this being more of your world, you can feel in these opening episodes, kind of ownership of space in this community, and and her protecting um, people she's close to. For instance, um, what drew you to her? I think that's what drew me to her. Yeah. You know, is that she doesn't act as an individual, you know, that she brings the, I think, the weight of the city with mm-hmm. her. Um, and she feels protective of it against Raylan. Um, and I I think that that makes, for me, an interesting clash. Yeah. Uh, an interesting collision between uh, these two folks. And the other thing about her that I loved is that what's more, what is most important for her is not the law, it's justice. Yes. And I think that for the two of them, uh, justified, um, <laughs> that I think that that is the gravity a little bit, you know, that that there is the law, which is the job, but there is justice. And oftentimes those things don't converge. Yeah. They don't meet. Um, and I think she, you know, she carries herself in a way and is prepared to do what it takes to protect the people in her life, even if it's not necessarily legal. Right. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You and I talked about King Richard a few years ago, and, and one thing I was struck by was the way you talked about really protecting and advocating for, for Oracine and, and her voice to be a, a big part of that movie. I'm curious, coming into this project, you know, you mentioned this being your people, your community, like, did you feel a level of comfort, a level of needing to advocate for certain things, elements in the story and character? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I, I think you have to do that. I think women always have to do that, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. And then also, you know, it, there's certain things as, you know, as a Black woman, I, I work with some very talented writers, those those showrunners and those producers of that show. They are they are special. They are special at what they do, but they don't know everything, you know, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, they're writing a black woman. Um, but this character wasn't written originally as a black woman. Elmore Leonard didn't it didn't imagine her as a black woman. So um, there are things that and an insight that I have that they don't necessarily have as white dudes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the great thing is that they listen to me. You know, um, I you know we had to go to battle for a few things, and sometimes I won. Most most of the time, they they most of the time they that they listened because they wanted it to be something that people would watch and not feel disrespected by. Yeah. So, thankfully, yeah. they were open. You know, I was thinking about that. Just the setting of Detroit uh, and and a real immersion into it to an extent is not something you see. In popular TV, especially very often, shows that um, have a built-in audience as this one does. Yeah, you know, and I and I I like the idea that you know Raylan essentially is a fish out of water here. Yeah, you know, and he meets all these you know all these crazy characters, unique, unique you know characters. Yeah, <laughs> and we have to watch him try to figure out how to how to be. Yeah. And how to get what he wants, how to protect his kid in this yeah. mad, mad world. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit to the moment uh, you were talking about when offers like this started coming in. What what did that feel like? What was that experience after your Oscar nomination for King Richard, that period of uh, what seemed to me just based on deadline headlines, <laughs> uh, big excitement? <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny is that a couple of things happened before the nomination. I got this the justified um, offer before the nomination happened. Oh. It actually happened the um, the fall of 2022. I'm not rem- I'm, I don't remember. But yeah, it, it, it happened before the nomination. Um, a couple other things happened before the nomination. So it felt like these things were happening after I got nominated, but in reality, right. you know, they were, they were up coming down, you know, pipe anyway, but I listen, I was happy. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care <laughs> whenever, whenever it happened. came. Yeah. Whenever it came, whenever yeah. it came. Um, in terms of 
you mentioned kind of carrying that book sometimes. I, I was struck by the amount of projects you have that are like pretty seminal books coming up. Like mm. you have Colson Whitehead's The Nickel Boys, you have Cased, uh, which Ava DuVernay is adapting. Um, did you immerse yourself into those books? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that particularly with with cast, you know, I was was familiar, of course, with Ms. Wilkerson. Yes. And had read um a lot of the warmth warmth of other suns or mm-hmm. um the first book I think she won the Pulitzer for. But I had not I had not read cast. I had seen interviews that she did about it, but I had not read the book. And then when I found out that, you know, Ava was, you know, going to make it into a film and I kind of came in late in the process. I think she had been seeing people and, you know, had been further along in the in the in the process. And I heard about it and I was like, yo, I want to be, you know, I come look at me. You know what I mean? I fought for this. You know, I I fought for that part. I fought for that. I had to, I guess, get Ava to see me in a in a mm. way maybe that she hadn't thought of seeing me before. Mm. And uh, I uh, I took a picture of Miss Wilkerson and a screenshot of Miss Wilkerson, and I took a picture of myself oh, wow. dressed as Miss Wilkerson and wearing similar clothing, mm. jewelry, and I sent it to to Ava. Uh, the casting director, and I was able to, you know, become one of the people that they considered based based on that. Right. I just refused to accept no, you know. I love that. And yeah. um, yeah, and it, it it is, you know, for some, I think the gods, uh, you know, they know that I'm a you know big book nerd, and for some reason they're like, okay, let's just take her experience away from just reading the book. Let's let her <laughs> actually live these stories right. that she reads. Yeah, that's great. You had worked with Ava before, you know, there's obviously the confidence to be able to say, you know, consider me for this. But I wonder if also having worked with her before, you did feel a level of comfort maybe in putting yourself out there a little bit more. No. No. Uh Uh-uh. I didn't, you know. I had worked with Ava, yes, on When They See Us um, a few years ago. Emmy-nominated performance, I will add. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um. That was, I was just, you know, I think that's one of the most important things I've ever done just because of the, what happened as a result of that piece of work being out in the world. Um, So, yeah, but I didn't, you know, that series was a cast of thousands, almost literally. I mean, New York being one of the member of the cast. So (laughs) I was just, you know, we talked, but we weren't, you know, we weren't. We didn't. I didn't leave that experience feeling like you know I can just call Ava up, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, I didn't feel like I could take anything for granted. Uh, so that's why you know I had to be like, let me fight for this a little bit. Yeah. Can you talk to me about uh, Nickel Boys a little bit, and particularly Colson Whitehead had has been on such an extraordinary streak um, yeah. with these novels. Uh, I, I I remember interviewing him for this one actually, and uh, it's a devastating story and devastating book. Um, I'm curious what it was like to again be considered for that and then be a part of that world. Yeah, though the, I mean, it was just 
I got to work with Jeremy Kleiner from Plan B. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually reached out to me, I think, at first about it. Uh, but the thing is, is that I really wanted to work with Ramel Ross, who's the director. Right. You know, that was my, that was a gravity for me because I saw his documentary film, Hell, uh, Hell County, yeah. which knocked It's a brilliant me, documentary, yeah. You know, you know, knocked me out, knocked me out. I saw it in Brooklyn and I just, it just, oh, it did something to me. And I actually, I was, I was stalking him for a little while. I was, he's, he's a professor at Brown. So I, I called Brown. <laughs> I was like, may I speak to Ramel Ross, please? Oh, I love it. <laughs> you know, I actually I went to I went to Brown, but I mean, you know, so right. what? <laughs> what? It's, a, it's a big school. You know what I'm saying? And that was years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah, may I speak to Ramel Ross, please? They're like, he's not here. <laughs> so, you know, and I think I might have written him an email. I don't know, but I was on some Ramel. I was on I was all about Ramel Ross. Right. And, you know, then Jeremy reached out to me about it. And I was just like, yo, I don't care what it is. I just want to work with this dude. Yeah. And I wasn't reaching out to him because I, I was like, I want you to give me a job. Because at that point, he was a documentary filmmaker. That's all that I knew that he was doing. I just wanted to tell him how I was affected by the work that I saw in that film. And then, you know, I was like, I don't care what he's doing. And I don't care how little or small what it. I just want to be a part of what he's doing. When I tell you, Ramel Ross is ex- he is extraordinary. He's extraordinary. I don't know what this film is gonna what it's gonna be. I mean, it's one of the strangest things I've ever done. Mm. But I love doing strange stuff, and I was there for it. I, I'm here for it. Yeah, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited for the world to see. Whatever it is, I'm excited. I, I know you can't share too much, but what about it felt like different or, or new to you uh, as a filming experience? Well, I can't I can't tell you because <laughs> okay. it'll it'll kind of give it away. But I, d- I will say this is that his approach to the point of view of the characters is I I've only seen that in in a film noir movie that I saw years and years ago, you know? And he sort of does something really innovative with the perspective of the protagonist. That's all I'll say. All right. That's a cool tease. If he hears this, he's going to be like, shut up! (laughs) (laughs) That's a cool tease, though. I will take it. Yeah. (laughs) That's more than I was expecting, to be honest with you. (laughs) It's he, he he's special, man. Ramel Ross. I've, I listen. I I have worked with a treasure trove in yeah. the last, you know, for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have, and it's. I think it's paid off. The you know, watching Justified again. It's the kind of character I haven't really gotten to see you play before, at least at that level of of profile. Um, there's this moment in the third episode where. We find out a new detail about your character, um, her ambition, really, what what she wants to um, what she wants to pursue in this show. And there's a moment where you walk into the courtroom, which is empty, and 
it's a silent scene and you you walk toward the bench and you sit in the judge's chair mm-hmm. and the camera just really holds on you. I, I thought it was such a powerful moment. I don't want to say it was like a metaphor for you or anything, but it did feel like, okay, there's like, there's a, there's a, there's a power here. I'm curious if it felt mm-hmm. that way to you. Yeah, I mean, it's so it, it was interesting because we did so much of it out of order. A lot of it was done out yeah. of out of order. So we actually shot that. I mean, I think towards the towards the end of it. So it's interesting that you're saying that it happened in the <laughs> in the third episode. Yeah, you know, I love the fact that she is unapologetically ambitious. You know, she wants something. She mm-hmm. wants something and feels like. I, I'm gonna do what I gotta do to make to make that happen, and I'm I'm good. I'm good with the consequences of that, of whatever yeah. that looks like, and I love that. Yeah, we can love that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I consider you a pretty ambitious actor. Not to say you'll you'll go to some of the lengths that <laughs> this character does. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna step on I'm not gonna step on anybody. But I do work, I, I do feel like I work my ass off. I really do. I, I try to anyway. And I feel like she does that too, you know? But I think she sort of reached this point where it's like, I did all the right things, you know? Yeah. I did, I married the guy, you know? And he me over, you know? I got the law degree. I did this. I did all the things. And I still look at where I am right now, and I I think she's just fed up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Understandably, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a quote back at you that you you shared with me at the premiere of King Richard that that moved me and, and surprised me. You said, uh, "I'm trying to accept something good without feeling like something bad is going to happen." Yeah. I'm curious how how you how you hear that. I guess what is it? A year and a half later, um, knowing the pretty extraordinary amount of projects you've gotten to work on, and also the fact that this was an opportunity that you could say paid off in the way it was supposed to pay off, in the way that this industry historically is supposed to work. Yeah, I still feel that way. I still fight that. Yeah. fight that demon. You know, like. You know, if something feel if something is too good, I'm I sit I look at my phone like this, like okay, when what I'm waiting on the bad news. When is yeah. it gonna happen? You know, and and the reality is that you know sometimes it is, sometimes it has happened like that, where it's just like yeah. this tremendous the week that um I was nominated. You know, I lost somebody in in my life. You know, but mm. I also have to I also have to think of it like this too, David is I have to start believing or acting in a way, when I say acting, I mean me, my personal behavior, in a way that this is my life, as Mm. opposed to this is a miracle. It's a miraculous life, you know, but that this is my life. And I work really hard for what is happening and has happened. I work my ass off for it, Yeah, you know, and that this is a path that perhaps maybe I'm supposed to be on. So maybe I should look at it like this is my professional life, you know, rather than this is a miracle. You just won the lottery again. (laughs) You just won the lottery again. And I think 
Do you know how that's crazy? But I think yeah. that's how I've been looking at it. Like me winning the lottery three, four times in a row, as opposed to, no, this is, this is your professional life. How do you maximize that? And then I, then maybe it'll take all the witchery off of it, you know? Yeah. I think it's very standard, honestly, for someone who's, you know, you've, you've been fighting for that kind of place in this industry for a long time. And when it suddenly comes, it's like, wait, is this, is this happening for real or is this a one-time thing? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think the tempering of that is that there are these other things that I want equally, right? Mm. This other, you know, part of that part of my creative life that I want to activate as strongly as this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is that, and that hasn't, that hasn't happened yet in the way that I mm. would like it to. So that calms me down. That keeps me, that keeps me, that keeps me calm. It's like, yeah, this is great. I'm acting, you know, but I'm still someone else's employee. Yep. And I'm ready to be somebody's employer. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we talking directing, producing? What what are, what are you willing to say about that? Uh, writing and producing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody's director, but writing and producing, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I remember one thing that was really important to you back in that Oscar campaign was living at home, essentially, going back home. Uh, you don't didn't live in Hollywood. I don't want to presume you still don't. But how have you found that balance of life and work uh, as things have accelerated for you? I've never, I've, there, it's never been a question. It, it's never been balanced. It's never been balanced. I don't, I don't know people like that. If they do, if they exist, they're probably, I don't know how else to say that. They probably have penises. <laughs> You knew I was sipping coffee right there. <laughs> I thought about that. Like, it might be a spit take on his part if I say that. But it's true. You it's know, true. like, I think when you're a woman, you know, I've, I I was a caregiver for my mother for a very long time. And there was no such thing as balance. I had a great, you know, I had a, you know, I had some people that were there helping me doing that, do that. So when I have, when I had to go off and, you know, work, you know, they would, take care of her but yeah you know I have I made decision I made a decision about my life you know a few years ago I guess if it's been about 11 or 12 years ago you know I knew that I was I was going to live in Mississippi I made that decision and it's so this is the decision I make so how do I make this other stuff uh work around it I had to choose that though you know I didn't let my professional life make that choice for me I decided where I wanted to be, where my family needed me to be, you know, and I'm yeah. I'm happy. I'm glad. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Uh, lastly, as we are uh, in, a, in a strange period for this industry, I, I did want to briefly ask you about the potential actor strike, how you're feeling as a SAG member about um, where things are at, what you personally are fighting for. I, again, thought of you in shows like this as someone who was 
where residuals were probably pretty important. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, anything that you're you're looking at here? Yeah, it it is. It's it's utterly frustrating. You know, it it just it's utterly frustrating. You know, it really is. It's sort of like the haves versus the have-nots. You know, and just the the incredible you know imbalance between folks who have most of the money and folks who don't have you know the money at all and you know i have worked uh and did well this this year and a half but that's this year and a half you know and i might i have not made the amount of money that i made last year i haven't made that because i'm working on you know a small indie, indie movie and that's not going to pay me what I got paid to do justified, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so there's a lot of inequity, you know, there's a lot of inequity, a lot of inequality, and that has to be, that has to be addressed. And I just feel that there is just a lack of, dis- there's a lack of respect. There's a lack of respect for writers. There's a lack of respect for actors, you know? And then with the whole AI thing, you know, it's like, okay, if we're replacing people, you're going to replace the writers, you're going to replace the actors. Let's replace some directors, <laughs> <laughs> Let's replace some producers. You know what I mean? Since yeah. we're re- since we're replacing folks, you know, if we have no value other than our image, you know, yeah, like who needs ultimately to be to be replaced? I feel that you know, I, I I'm standing with the WGA. I stand with SAG-AFTRA. Um, and I'm probably going to hit some hit hit the picket picket line today, actually, for a little bit. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back on Thursday with our roundtable conversation. In the meantime, find us at Vanity Fair on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider, and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and David. David Canfield, ninety-seven. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.